Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light as I give, I receive. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And we're going to be talking today about a really interesting topic that we haven't gone into in any real depth yet. But before we do, hang in there because for the first time ever in 93 episodes, we're, we're bringing you something different and something else and something special and it's about to be unveiled and I'm going to let Jane tell you what it is. Well, I'm so excited and I have been working for the last few months on creating an online eight-week course for highly sensitive people. Which is like our entire listenership (laughs) and everyone who listens to the show. Look, I'm so excited because I had an exercise that I had to go through recently with my business coach who asked me to write my life story if I had not learnt what I'd learnt about sensitivity. And it came as an incredible shock to really realise the devastating state that my life would have been. I truly believe that I would have been self-medicating in some way. I would have been uh, abusive as a mother to my children. I'm sure my husband would have long been gone, as would have my family, would have had no association with me. I would have been this massive ball of anger that was destroying everything in its path, everything. And I just realized how blessed I was to have been given the opportunity to be able to, you know, get on board with this research so early and to have been able to be in contact with such amazing people. So as a result of that, I've put together the best tools that I have used in my own life in an eight-week online course that uh, is for highly sensitive people to help them to really embrace their sensitivity and to really cherish it and grow it. So manage it, embrace it, and love it. So if anybody's interested in wanting further details about uh, about the course, head to my website, which is all the W's, Jane Donovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, dot com, dot A-U. And on the website, you can just click on the logo that says Take the Test, and that will inbox you automatically the highly sensitive test. So you can see if you, like me, are a HSP. And then if you are, then uh, let, I'll be in touch and we'll get talking about our course. That is so exciting. Yes, yay. All right, we'll mention again at the end of the show. Just in case well, actually, yes, and I need to point out that it is going to be starting in the middle of November. Right. So um, it's going to be run in blocks, not just where you can jump in at any point because I will be doing online webinars um, supporting people throughout the course. All right. Well, we'll, okay. We'll throw those details yeah. at the end in case you need Let's to get them again. get on to this week's topic, which I know. is cool. So we're going to be looking at the concept of charity and like everything that we touch on in Love Life, of course, we're going to be looking at it through a more holistic spiritual lens. So we want to be asking the questions in this day and age where of course of course there's poverty in the world the world has always had poverty since the dawn of time there are always those at the top of the triangle there will always be those at the bottom or, or do there need to be i mean i do believe jane there are highly evolved planets out there in the universe we call them the hebs who've solved these problems somehow well it's interesting i had a quote recently that uh, here in australia and i think we could probably go in most of the western world but for authenticity, we'll say here in Australia, the poorest people in Australia are richer than the richest people were a couple of hundred years ago. 
it's mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. mind-boggling. And you can't yeah. really understand quite what that means. But anyway, we can only kind of go with what's relative to us here and now. And the fact is, I would assume everyone listening to this podcast pretty much is, is, is coming from mainly first world, very wealthy countries. We don't know really in any real sense of the word what it means to be hungry. We've never really known what it means. You know that thing that you say, Jane, about people who stress about money and you say, have you ever not paid a bill? Yeah. And most people are like, do you know what? Actually, I pretty much always have. You know, there might be some tight gaps in life, but we're all And the money is there. We're not really on the bones of our ass. We've never really been there. No. So the question is when we're so privileged and we're so shut off from the horrors and the truth of genuine you know, poverty, when, when you really have nothing, you might have some rags on your back and you're walking across a dusty field and you don't know where you're going and you've got, you've got two babies with you and you're pregnant, your husband's been killed, you're barefoot, you're sick, your children are sick, you're heading out of a war-torn region into another war-torn region, what's going to happen? I mean, we can't even begin to fathom. No, it's very what, difficult to have empathy. What that sort of... Like, like to really get it. Yeah, you know, we really don't know. And so the question is... If we're the ones with all of the money and all of the stockpile and all of the obsessive, you know, almost obscene wealth and waste and all of that, what can we do to help? And we all know the problems. Jane was just sharing a story with me before about in the 80s when you went to Africa, Jane. Oh, yes. Now, it wasn't long after the live aid concert that um, Sir Bob Geldof put together, which actually was was what ended up getting him knighted. So he did that amazing concert, which was to – raise money for food to be uh, trucked into Africa where there was uh, so much famine going on. And then I was in Morocco in um, late 87 and saw bags of flour for sale at the local markets that were stamped with live aid. So it was, and and I don't know if people remember that, well, those that are old enough may remember that he was, him and and the organisation Live Aid were heavily criticised for not getting the products through when the world had stopped and given so much. And so I had to come to grips with this, with here I am faced with my money that I donated now in the hands of somebody that is profiteering rather than it going to those most needed. Right. But, you know, we've heard these stories about so many charities and I get that we need to have – the focus on what's going on behind the scenes so that we're not conned. But I also think that we need to have a little bit of a shift in thinking and go, what is the intent behind these people? They're actually getting off their asses and doing something. I'm not running a live aid concert. I'm not the one out there trying to work out how to get this flower on trucks and how to actually get it across the war-torn borders and into the areas that are most needed. That's tough, hard work, massive commitment. And so I applaud these people for doing it. I donate based on what I believe their integrity is. And you know what? If they get 50% through, awesome. That's 50% more than I'm going to get through. Right. And if they get 20% through or if they get 80% through, I'm happy with that. That's okay. And if there's some fat pig along the line, comes along this production line, who ends up taking a bit of cream off the pie, no, that's not good. But I still want the work to continue because some is better than none. Yeah, I know. It's I, I can sort of hear my mother's voice in my head when I was growing up, and you know, she, she, my mother 
grew up in America in big cities where beggars held out their hands. You know, homelessness is really obvious in the States in the way that I never saw it growing up here in Australia, very sheltered from, from it's not visible, it's very hidden here, yeah, you know. Yeah. So my mother very much um, had down pat the thing where, of, and I know this sounds dreadful, but it's like how to ignore beggars. Like she'd been in India as well and, you know, all of in Europe and it's it's what to do when you're constantly faced with arms reaching out and groping your sleeve and holding cups in your face and asking and begging your back. And she just had the stone cold face where she'd just walk by. Now, my mother gives to charities, but she she would choose where she would put that money. You know, there's all of that conjecture about if you give it to someone on the street, do they just go and shoot up more drugs? And then people say, well, maybe they need to because that's their soul lesson. I mean, this stuff just gets so complicated. But my mother would say to me, well, if you're going to give to a charity, you know, you've got to choose the right charity because if you give money to this one, it just goes into admin and it doesn't get to the people that actually need the help. But then we need the admin. But this was a very big thing, I think, in like the 60s, 70s and 80s where there were charities that were absolutely abusing it. There was some tax loop that if you gave away 10%, you could call yourself a charity or something ridiculous like that right so that was when charity direct was formed in australia right and so what happened then was there was a big marketing campaign for people to you know if you're going to be donating money we would prefer that you donated to a charity direct organization who have been accredited in some way and they cover off on certain percentages of of overheads versus what gets through to the charity right um, but again, you know, you got to keep your eye on it because none of us want to get ripped off. But it's much more transparent these days in 2014 than it was back then in the 80s. Yeah. So accountability has been good. So, I mean, I know it's easy to get caught up into this sort of almost argument about where is worthier of your dollar. Is, it, is this person or this, you know, case worthier of your charity dollar? Or is this organization or this relief fund or this disaster worthier of your dollar? It's, you know, and like mm. there was, Jane put this amazing thing up on her Facebook page last night. And it's something that I've thought my whole life. And this just summed it up. It's a meme. It's a picture of two poor little, you know, black children sitting in a toxic waste slump. And they're just, you know, it's just poverty, absolute poverty. And it says the world spent nearly $2 trillion. Two trillion dollars, get your head around trillion, on war in 2012. One twentieth of that could have eradicated poverty and brought world peace. Now, I don't know if you can guarantee world peace. No, I'm not sure about that either, but I thought, hey, I'm putting it out there. Those stats are incredible. So, and this, and then as a young child who didn't really understand how the world worked, this is a question I always had. Why do we spend so much on defense when we're not really ever defending anything? It's just the idea, we just like to have this watchdog idea that we're always safe because we put money into stuff that's just there just in case, just because, fear-based mentality. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's just, it doesn't actually take that much money to send over to Africa or poor parts of Asia or our own Aboriginal people who are out in the desert living in third world conditions that UNICEF has turned around and said, what what the hell are you doing, Australia? What is going on in your own backyard with these kids dying of diseases that were wiped out 100 years ago and your kids have got them back in the deserts? Like, it's just, where is if we can throw so much money towards, and I'm going to get very controversial here, so if you want to leave the show at this point, leave the show at this point. Oh, warning, Why warning, warning. do we put hundreds of millions of dollars into things like cancer research when, uh, how, where's it gotten us? We're sicker than ever. What have we achieved? Oh, have we got a cure yet? Is that really the way to go about this? Is the way that we funnel insane amounts of money into military technology and science really the way to solve problems? 
Or should we be funneling money into the thinkers, into the strategists, into the emotional leaders, into the emotional doctors, you know, into... I vote I vote back number one for Prime Minister. Like, seriously, can we get some people on board here that actually look at causes and look at the psychological and just deeper socio-cultural political reasons for some of these things so that we can it's it's like my it's like my problem with jails the jails i spoke to a woman yesterday who works in a jail they are so overcrowded no one admits it the politicians gloss over it people don't deal with it we get young juvenile delinquents who've come from terrible homes we incarcerate them we punish them we moderately quote unquote rehabilitate them and they either so stay, moderately, and they, really. They, they either there's too much of that going on. Stay in there for their lifetime, or they come back out, commit more crimes, and go back in. Okay, if only the taxpayer dollar was going to sending in thousands of James and Rebecca's to sit down, hold hands, look in eyes, and talk about childhoods with people. Yeah, where would we be? Yeah. A different, a different reality yeah, is what we would have. Why do we not value? emotional work why do we not value this is exactly why we're doing this podcast though Beck, because this is giving voice to emotional intelligence it is time it's 2014 and it's time that every every industry every business every department every leader was either a person who is a HSP, a highly sensitive person, or a person that is counseled by a HSP. We've got to get this brilliant gift into leadership. We do, because I'm so sick of every major industry in the world being run by psychopaths. And that's what the proof shows. And we've talked about this, I'm sure, but I'm going to rehash it, is that when I say psychopaths, I don't mean that they're killers, but they're missing the empathy chip. These are people who perform brilliantly in interviews. They climb high in hierarchies. They have no compassion. They're totally run by ego. Yeah, it's full-blown narcissists. Full-blown narcissists. And they get they're, 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 what turns them on is to climb as high as they can possibly climb. I'm not naming any names, Prime Minister of Australia. People get high up into corporations, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, whether it's science, whether it's the military, whether it's the government, you name the system. There's psychopaths high up, media in every system, and they're the ones who are terrorising the people beneath them through office politics, passive-aggressive, narcissistic bullshit, or sometimes not that passive, sometimes it's outright bullying, but they're getting away with it and we're still enabling these structures in the world we live in, which are operating off fear and false power and not from good heart and intention. I don't know what the answer is, Jane, to be honest. I do. I'm having a rant now. I know. I love it. I love it. It's great. Look, I don't have the answer to all of those problems right now, but what I do have the answer to is everybody who's listening to this podcast, who's starting to get a bit fired up and feel the same way as Bex just articulated and that I share in, it is your job to start the education, to start the giving, to start the change. And to encourage your children to rebel the system, and I don't say that irresponsibly. I'm not talking about encouraging a state of anarchy. I'm talking about raise your children to be intelligent thinkers who don't do stuff because a man with a clipboard or a graph on the evening news tells them. You know, I, we well, two examples with my beautiful fifteen-year-old uh, has been told off because we don't watch the news because I just think it's full of propaganda, and so they've told her that she has to watch the Who's news. They? they, being the school teachers, 
have told her that she has to watch the news to be able to do her assignments. And so I've said, I'll just, can you just let them know that, um, uh, I'll have a chat with them at the parent teacher interview and find out what the exercise is to enable. So we'll find a different way of you doing it. And she loved that. And then the second thing was that the school has said that if you have one day off sick, you have to have a doctor's certificate. And she wasn't being, um, in, uh, being like rebellious. Yeah. yeah. But she just very politely just said, but what if you don't go to the doctor? Now she actually doesn't realize that she's actually quite that strange. She actually thinks that's kind of lots of people don't go to the doctor because in her world, lots don't, but yeah. in a bigger world, most do. Right. And she wasn't being rude. She was actually just saying, but what if you don't go to the doctor? And they said, you have to go to the doctor. And she said, yeah, but what if you know what's wrong with you and you don't need to go to the doctor? And it's like, you know, she's 15 and she's having a bad period and she needs to, or she, or she, whatever, you know, it's pointless. So I love that 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 is an ex- a little example, but I do think we need to empower our children to be able to stand up at a much earlier age than full blown adulthood. We, and we need to, to give them for what they believe in. Permission. They've got to be empowered with this. I want them to go forth and be the next generation to tear down the old power structures, to rebuild the earth however they see fit, to better benefit the greater good for the greater number with more HSP thrown into the mix. Exactly. You know, I really yeah. do. Yeah. And, we are still on topic of charity, believe it or not. Yeah, no, we are because it's also about uh, empowering those that are wanting empowerment but are being controlled or withheld or lack of opportunity. And that leads me to one of my favourite all-time bestest in the whole wide world charities, in my opinion, and that's Kiva. Now, Kiva is K-I-V-A dot org. And I first heard about this through a wonderful book that Bill Clinton wrote called Giving how each of us can change the world. Now, it's quite a while since I read it, but I strongly encourage you to read it, whether you like or hate Bill Clinton. Don't worry about this. This is actually a book that he has written beautifully about with the idea of the person who might have 50 bucks spare in their wallet or $10 spare in their wallet or whatever, how we can be feel empowered and empower others in the giving. So Kiva is this gorgeous website where – Oh, is it called? Is it called microfinancing? Is that, yeah? Um, where you make a $25 US donation. Oh, it's not a donation. You make a loan. So you go on this website and there's all these stories and photos of real people that have got small businesses or small uh, entrepreneurial ideas that they're wanting to either get off the ground or expand or grow. And like, for example, it might be, um, a single mum in, um, Nepal who wants, uh, to buy a goat to breed another goat to have some more goats have milk for her children for school or something yes, like that. Yes, exactly. So it can be about, um, survival or it can be to be able to have more milk so that she can make, um, the milkshakes that she sells on her side cart, uh, because she would like to expand. Or it can be, I'd like to actually buy a second cart so that my sister can come and work with me so that we can both be expanding the business. So the idea is they might say, I need $750 US to fund this expansion or this startup. And then everybody gives their $25 that want to. You just click on this person and you donate your money. And then um, over a period of time, they start paying you back your money. And so you'll get a little email from Kiva that will say you've had $3.28 put into your account that's been paid back from this person. And they have some extraordinarily high, I can't remember the percentage, but I'm going to have a gut feeling guess that it's around 95 or 98% of the loans are paid back. 
Now, the idea being you get your money back. Now, if you're doing it tough, you take the money out, you got your money back. But the reality that most of us get the money back and then go, right, who else can I go and help now? And so what I did was started with one. And then every now and again, I'd forget about Kiva for a while. And then I'd get an email with a bit of money back. And it would make me think, I'll just do another $25 donation. Yeah, reinvest. So I don't know how many I'm up to now. There's quite a few out there. And then yesterday, I only got an email again from them saying, we've got a 72-hour special where we're matching it dollar for dollar. So I but it had certain categories. Had to be in there were certain countries and it had to be in agriculture. So I chose a Vietnamese group of uh women that were wanting to expand their rice growing business. Uh and I chose one that was nearly at their target. Um, because I thought, well, if I put that in and then it gets matched, it might get over their target. So once they get their target, they get the money gets lent to them. Yes. So it's the most beautiful concept. And I think if you're in Australia, it ends up, you know, you pay a donation to Kiva to help operate their costs. So here's the other thing. Clever marketing. The $25 actually goes to that person. But there's $3.85 or something that I pay, which is probably, what, 11 12 13% that I pay on top of that to go to Kiva for their administration costs. And that's called business transparency. It is, isn't it? And you go, yeah, happy to, brilliant. Someone's got to negotiate this. I'm not getting on the plane and dropping the money off. Right. So um, then it converts to uh, Australian dollars. So those in Australia, it was about $38. You know, fantastic. How great do you feel? Mm. And you can you can check in on these people if you want and see how are they going, if they got their money yet. And yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, because it's putting a face to it. It's linking people up. It's the same thing as like I've ever since I was seven or eight, I've always had World Vision children. And Me too. I, yeah, I grew up with World Vision children. Like we were the same age. And then, you know, I left home and became a young adult and got more my first child who was in um, Ecuador. And then <laughs> now I've got one in Africa somewhere. You know, you've always got your little World Vision child that you're checking in on and and then sometimes they grow up and leave you and you get the next baby. And <laughs> I think I'm about my fifth or sixth yeah, one. So and in cute. all that time, now, you know, people talk about integrity and, and I know World Vision has had fans and it's had haters. Um, I got an email about 15 years ago from them, uh, not an email, a, a letter back in those days, uh, saying that this child that I had started to sponsor only about four, five, six months prior, that they said, unfortunately, sometimes we move into the region too late. So they've got a lot of criteria of what they look for to be able to really be able to make it work. Make a change, yeah. And they actually said that sometimes we get it wrong, and in this case we got it wrong, and the tribe or the the, the village people, they just didn't buy it, they didn't believe it, and they actually packed up and moved on. Fascinating. They were, they were too scared to, to trust. And so World Vision withdrew. Now, they were so honest and said, you know, however, <laughs> enclosed is another photo of another child you could sponsor in another area. Yeah. Um, but, you know, good on them. That's transparency again. It is, isn't it? But I think what's important, you know, with, well, well first off, going back to Kiva that I absolutely love is the fact that we are empowering individuals. We're not, we're not giving them charity. We're lending them their money. And dignity. And they're going to pay it back. Right. This is a business transaction that has a lot of dignity about it. Yes. A lot of pride, a lot of gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But that's no different to going to the bank. It's just that they can't go to the bank. It's it's putting a human, a humanity, a human face and a, and a humanity angle into it, isn't it? And it's, it's like crowdfunding. It's a, awesome. It is. And it's the whole teach a man to fish for a day, teach a man to fish for a What does it catch a fish a day, teach him to fish for a lifetime? It's that whole, yeah. these are the sorts of long running, sustainable snowballing skills that we want to be doing rather than just 
chucking money at people like in a welfare state. We're like, okay, you're poor, so we'll just chuck some money at you. What has it ta- taught you? Nothing. It's taught you that money comes for free, and every time you put your hand up for it, we'll give more to you. Now, I know that sounds like a very liberal and conservative way to talk, but there is something to be said for the way that we educate people to put value into things. You yes. Know? And I have met, you know, through some of the Soul Divas team work that I do, you know, there are kids out there who are absolute products of the welfare state, meaning they've grown up with single mums who've only ever lived off checks and welfare. The kids have only ever been given bonuses and extras from the government and they've just learned that every time they put out their hand, something's slapped into it. So what do they do? They, they, they fritter their money on massive big plasma flat screens and fast cars, drugs, clothes, CDs, you name it. It's a throwaway culture. It's a materialistic culture. There's no real value or heart or ritual or meaning to anything because they've just been taught about wastage and about burning through. If it's there, you grab it, you burn through it. There's always going to be more somewhere on the other side. You know, it's it's fascinating how we rewire their brains into these mentalities. So we need to get really conscious about well, that. Well, this is what excites me about Kiva again. Now, let's imagine, let's just wave the love life, Beck and Jane, what magic wand, and every single adult that is above the poverty line in the Western world is on Kiva. And everyone donates $25 to somebody once a month. We now have the entire entrepreneurial population of all of the third world countries kicking butt. They've all got their opportunity. Now, these people, I think, are brilliant. I mean, you know what? It's actually pretty easy to have a successful business in a Western world. How hard would it be to have the if all of the school, schools and tools and resources, you know, when you've got nothing and you can create something amazing, these entrepreneurs, I actually feel I would love to sit down because I would have a lot to learn from them. And these are the people that will come up and they will be the leaders of tomorrow. That's right. And they will also be the people that help bust the systems down. And the other thing that an act like that would be doing would be to take away the handing over of responsibility and power that we, we just hand to the government and we say, can you take our taxpayers' dollars and just do something good with them for us, please? But this was this is almost like refinancing a whole new bank and money and finance yes. system. Well, it's the same as that crowdfunding. I know right. that's not about charity, but it is about excitement of empowering people to um, make choices people. with their, their money. With which, our money. So we're saying, which is part of what this is about. Well, how about, guys, we don't pay quite so many taxpayer dollars to you lot anymore because we're now deciding where and how we band together our money for a much more immediately successful, long-term, sustainable effect because nice. we're sick of the decisions you lot are making because what what are we seeing? Not much improvement in any real area. No, nothing at all. <laughs> Ever. But, you know, there's other wonderful things that are going on too. Like, for example, you know, we were talking about the schools. Um, there's a lovely college here in Adelaide, Emmanuel College, who there's a, a eye surgeon who takes a group of students and parents once a year to Bali where there's some very simple little test and treatment that they do that prevents a form of blindness. I'm sorry I haven't researched this properly with proper names, but these children go over there once a year and they work for three weeks. They work their butts off for three weeks, seven day, 24 one days straight, yeah. long hours, and they come back changed souls, these beautiful children have got it, you know, they really get it and they have done such beautiful work, uh, which is an awesome way of, of traveling and, and seeing the world. There's this gorgeous um, now international travel 
uh, packages where you bike ride through Vietnam and you actually get to go through the villages that World Vision are working in or other charities are doing the same thing, which I think is just amazing. And while you're there, if you've got the time and you can stay longer, you stay to help build a classroom or a, um, a medical rooms or whatever, visit which is an orphanage or do something like that. And I think that like, if there's anything I challenge the Love Life listeners with today is rather than always just giving money, is there some way you can give your thoughts, your ideas, your expertise, or your time? Like just the other day I saw that that financial guru, Scott Pape, was talking about, see, here's a guy who he's a financial advisor, so boring. He, he, he has so much money. He could so easily give to loads of charities, and he probably does. But what does he do? He goes into jails and teaches the crims about how to manage their money. Oh, I love it. Isn't that amazing? That's, and he, he just donates that time. You know, but you know, when you give, you receive so much, so much. And I have another little challenge on that, actually, because look, all our love life listeners know how good it feels when you give. You actually do feel amazing, yeah, amazing. But can you give without being acknowledged, without telling a soul, without telling anybody? Can you give? Can you go? Oh, this person would know. That. I was thinking, can you go to the checkout and say? Here's an extra $50. Whoever's next in line, just take it off their bill. Now, the checkout girl would know, but that's probably a bad okay. example. She's a stranger. <laughs> can you can you drop $50 in an envelope and just put it in a random or, – or you know somebody who's doing it hard and you go to their letterbox and you drop it in there with no note, no nothing. You don't then tell a soul you've done it. And if you've and just if they done come it. and tell you, don't give in and say, I give in, it was me. <laughs> No, you know, that the, the art of, and that is truly a gift to yourself, to just your soul. The silent philanthropist. Like there's one thing, yeah, it is, yeah, which is great, but it's also about being the, the vocal philanthropist because you then lead the way for others to follow. Hence, we're doing this podcast. This is what Beck and I do for charity. This is how we choose to give, and hopefully others might follow us. As I give, I receive. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Of course, we're on thewellnesscouch.com every Wednesday. We're on iTunes Australia. And if you wanted to hear one more time what Jane's course details are. Uh, yes. So this is for highly sensitive people. If you'd like to take the test first or if you're interested in the course, you can visit my website, which is janedonovan.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Do this for yourself. And in the meantime, go out and give some more of your gifts to the world. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening.